Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Leanne Bach with M Realty. Keep your finger on the pulse of Portland's hot real estate market. Call Leanne for unparalleled customer service and the highest level of marketing available. Make sure your position in the marketplace doesn't leave money on the table by visiting leannebach.com or call Leanne direct at 503-349-7890. And by Chew Dining Club. Chew gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Just download the app right now and check in at participating establishments. Get the rewards you want, like free pizzas, drinks, extended happy hour deals, and more. Plus exclusive information about fun food events and invites too. Chew. Welcome back to another edition of Right at the Fork. It is uh, Portland's food scene podcast where uh, me, Court Johnson, and Chris Angeles, we talk with uh, some of the the many people that people are coming to know here in the Portland food scene. We're into the 80s. Yes. People. Actually, yeah. more. If no, you we're, the sound bites, we've right, talked to more into the people. 90s, Probably near about 100. 100. Yeah. Over 100. But yeah, I, I'm happy you're here with us, Court. People can find you on Kink Mornings. Yep. Uh, doing a great show over there, and you bring... Such professionalism to our podcast, and well, I thank you very much. I don't, I don't know about that, but I appreciate you saying that. I, I tell everybody I'm I'm a DJ by profession only because they pay me. <laughs> Otherwise, well, there's a lot. I don't of know what I'm doing here do because they because <laughs> they're being paid. Believe me, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But you're great at what you do, and I appreciate it. And then, of course, Chris, we're patting each other's backs right now. Chris, you're behind Portland Food Adventures, which, in concept alone, is just brilliant. But the, but your passion towards the Portland food scene is demonstrated when you do these little tours where people get to, you know. Well, it's a tour through the chef's palate. Right. So, um, in fact, I was talking about it this weekend. It's it's about the food and the food scene. But yeah. really what I've been attracted to all along are the characters right. in the food scene. Yeah. I, everybody can eat. Everybody can post. But what I've wanted to do is showcase the uh, folks in this wonderful food scene. And the, the guest we have today mm-hmm. is one of the first people I was impressed with. Um, Ken Forkish, yeah. who you know started with a bakery in Portland anyway, uh, and he's going to tell us his story, but started with a bakery, did some pizza pop-ups, and ended up with, I think, some of the best pizza, with hands down, always at the top of my list, along with uh, some others, I'm not, but it's Ken's podcast, but for sure, Ken's Artisan Pizza is some of my favorite, and he's got some other accolades too. Yeah, he's uh, he's become an author, and he actually talks about how he wrote the wrote a book about pizza after having only been kind of in the pizza business for a few short years. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's definitely got a passion for for what he's doing. I mean, we we get into like the the nitty gritty, and by nitty gritty, I mean like the flour. We we talk, we have a intense discussion about flour, mm-hmm. which I completely loved because because when it comes to baked goods. It's all about that flour. And that's what he thats what he wants to do. He wanted to come in and talk about pizza more than himself. I wanted to talk about himself, and I think we got a, we got a nice interview from him. But he does have two books that have won awards, um, Flour, Water, Salt, mm-hmm. Yeast, uh, and they're both published by 10 Speed Press. And the other one is? The other one is The Elements of Pizza. So, right, which, which uh, just talked about. Yeah, which uh, he, we, we talk about it in kind of his journey of writing that book and his... his uh, 
uh, investigation is that I, what we call research? I guess that's the technical term. And it's always nice to run into someone who's uh, was born when I was born. They have similar perspectives sure. on, on timelines, anyway. So Ken Forkish, um, really a pleasure to have him on the podcast. And I, you know, every time I've talked to him at his restaurant. He's always been very gracious, and that certainly shines through mm-hmm. on the podcast this morning. So, yeah, actually, I went to dinner last night. I'm so I'm so geared towards posting pictures on Instagram, you know, because I do what I do with Portland Food Adventures. Yeah, so when I go out, it's an opportunity to right. showcase some of the great spots in Portland. But I actually had a, I had a meal at La Moule last night. And walked out and realized I hadn't posted a thing. And I was so happy about that because dinner was so nice, I didn't even think about it. You but, know, after, after a while, I look at, you know, I go through my Instagram feed or my Twitter feed. And after a while, you know, I'm not even paying attention. And it's like, do I want to participate in the, hey, look at me thing every day? Or like some people, it's like every half hour. Absolutely not. Just, well, I think in this world, it's advertising. Right, it's for especially for businesses like yours. It is, you know. And I you, used to work in advertising in even in the, in the late nineties. That was in the very early days of the internet ad, internet advertising. Business. Oh man, that scared me out of advertising. Actually, <laughs> yeah, back in those days, we would go to conferences, and the theme of the conference would be, "Is there a future in internet advertising?" I think we figured that one out. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the there's a future, but it certainly is more complicated than mass media advertising. I know, but just right, court radio is easy. For the it's well, it has its own struggles. Well, yeah, but, struggles. but how to advertise on radio and knowing how many people you're reaching? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 been around for a hundred years, so yeah, you can right. And it. there's some branding involved. Right. With the internet, no one takes into consideration branding, which is what social media does a little bit. I yeah. think. I don't know. That's like my first consideration. Like when I send out a tweet with a picture, I don't expect somebody to come into my restaurant that night. Right. Um, but if I do it enough and get the theme across, then, you know, the whole idea of branding is it seeps into the public consciousness. But we're invaded by advertising and branding and marketing in so many more ways than even it was 10 years ago. And I'm like, well, it's probably not going to stop. And after a while, you just sort of tune out, which is why well, I'm sort of losing some of my enthusiasm for doing what I still do every day. I'm just posting pictures to Instagram. Well, yeah, that's not what you got into it for. Instagram. But what's interesting about it is... Well, I think social media does. It's different. And and is it's a little more believable. It's not someone programming a slogan and trying to sell me on something. Hopefully it's, it it's, is. Those are the ones that you might actually pay attention to. That Unfortunately, we've been programmed to pay attention yeah. to those. But are you mean the, the posts that aren't right. programmed? Right. Exactly. And th- right. But nowadays, you know, for years we lived with slogans and we lived with... Everything they wanted to shove down our throats, and by the way, I was in the business, so I guess yeah. I wanted—I shoved a little bit down people's right. throats. But now I'm just leery of it. When I hear a slogan, I'm just like, just, "I don't know." But yeah, slogans used to be like really cool, right? And now they're even if they're witty, they're contrived. It's like right. that's there's someone that's not, that's, that's a generational not, thing too. You know, I like like the old white out commercials. You know, spend a little dime on me. The, oh, the White Owl commercials. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God, there are a lot of them. But I've they had to be the, clever. I've been watching the old Dick Cavett shows on, on oh, those are uh, great. Hulu, and you get the same thing. Out Did of you ever see his interviews with Richard Burton? It's like three nights in a row. No, but I have to, I'll reference that, because they have them on they're Hulu. Brilliant. I think I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, um, brilliant. Court, Court and I were just talking about this, because 
He a while ago we talked, and I'm sorry to divert, but it's interesting no, conversation. We're just here to talk, whatever we talk about. We were fine. talking about he. No one's ever told my story, which is I think it's. You have an interesting, no, you have a very interesting story. Right, so he was going to, he said, why don't I, or we kind of talked about his interviewing me on the podcast for one. And, and, well, I thought, and then I was watching the Merv Griffin show, and he actually did that years ago. He had Dick Cavett come on and be his guest host and interview him to sell his book. (laughs) <laughs> which was, and then I saw it and I called Court and I said, I don't know, man. I thought that was so contrived of Merv Griffin it to It sounds do. cool until you said to sell his book. And right. then all of a sudden, like, right. uh, well, it seems manipulative. So what would the purpose be, Court, to sell people on the podcast? I think it's just... I, to sell Chris Angeles, because again, I, you have this fascinating story, I, story, Chris. So for me, that's that's why I brought it up. We don't, I don't need to be yeah, sold. Yeah, but sometimes but, we, wanna, we just want to be entertained. We don't want to be sold. Yeah, well, that's what I was just about to say. We don't need to sell, I don't want to sell anybody on me. Maybe the... The Chris Angeles brand, we're talking couple, about branding. There are a couple of women that I would want to <laughs> sell on me, but... <laughs> but at any rate, um, you, Ken, speaking of selling on me, your pizza has sold me on you from the get-go with all the pizza discussion in Portland. And there are some great pizza places. You know, we discussed this. We've discussed this in the past. Yeah, I come from New Haven, so I'm a little yeah, bit of a snob. I consider myself a, a more of an authority as a layman, as a consumer, than someone from Omaha. Yeah, I actually question the authority of New Havenites. Um, <laughs> Good. Because it's <laughs> a very specific slice of what pizza is. Sorry. You, you, I mean, it's a very particular kind of pizza and you don't find that kind of pizza done that way anywhere else. And a lot of it just comes from the ovens themselves. Well, when they try, it's not successful. They burn yeah. it. They, well, first of all, people have to understand it because they're not there. Right. But right. we know whether it's a, a, a style or not, it's still great pizza. There are people, you know, New Haven's a town, a city with, I don't know, 150 pizza parlors. And three or four many? of them, yeah, they're well, at least in the region, you know, East yeah. Haven, the whole, and there are three or four of them that have lines out the door at four o'clock. So they're pretty, yeah. you know, they're pretty incredible. And so I don't want to get into the white clam thing yet, but we will. Um, Just give them time. But so where do you, what do you consider, so what was your baseline for Ken's Artisan Pizza or when you started making it over at the bakery? What was your... That was kind of the thing. My baseline was really more dimensional, like uh, physical characteristics. I wanted a pizza that was the size of a, a dinner plate. And even, well, we started this uh, Monday night pizza at my bakery in 2005. That was not very common back then. Uh, usually when you had pizza, it was a larger, like an 18-inch pizza. Right. Um, now, of course, you see it a lot of places. It's common for wood-fired oven. Do you think you started that trend in this town? I mean, I it's all know. over the I place. Started but... It, but I was uh, certainly one of the early adopters. Uh, Kathy opened Nostrano before I opened Ken's Artisan Pizza. Uh, but I did was doing these at my bakery. Actually, Kathy was working at my bakery doing pizza night with us for about five or six months, getting her pizza chops up. Before Boy, it would be so cool. Nostrana. It would be so cool to we have had fun a, together too. a machine to, to be able to pick a year. And go back and do stuff like that in Portland. You know, Kathy yeah. making pizza with you, going back to Naomi's uh, suppers. That would be right. fun to just be a fly on the, the wall. Right even sitting at the table would be great, but even a fly yeah. on the wall watching that would be great. So yeah, totally. I didn't realize that. So did she? Is, did you and she learn pizza together? Uh, I don't really. I didn't really look at it that way. I think she just wanted to get her pizza chops up. She, had, you know, she'd made pizza, but um, it's not like she needed to learn from us. Uh, but we talked a lot about dough and. Um, you know, it's when you're going live in your restaurant, you want to have a little, a little bit more hand experience. 
Uh, and that's what it was all about for her. Uh, and I think that was a period of time she wasn't really working that much. Uh, so she had time to give. We had a good time together. It was fun. So do you I think we took advantage of each other's experience-based points of view and skill sets. Uh, well, I would think so. And yeah, that's the whole idea. Do you remember any uh, light bulbs going off back then? Like, okay, here's how I here's how I up this pizza this much. Do you remember any uh, of those? No, not really. The only the only thing I wanted was um, we were doing a margarita with arugula, which has always been one of our signature pies. Uh, and this is you know, back in 2005. I just wanted to see, from Kathy's point of view, how you top it with the arugula. And it, was, it seems weird, but. To me, in, before we did it, I'd read about margarita with arugula pizzas. I had one at A16 down in San Francisco, and I was I was kind of fascinated about it because, you know, I grew up on New York-style pizza back east in Maryland where I grew up. And so the idea of putting basically a salad on top of your pizza was weird, but I was still, it was compelling at the same time. Uh, and all I just wanted to see was, like, proportionally <clears throat> how she would do it. And Which then a lot of arugula. It's a lot. It's not just a lot of arugula. Actually, the really important thing is... Um, that you just dress it very, very lightly in olive oil with just a touch of uh, sea salt. Mm-hmm. Uh, without the olive oil, it comes out a little bit on the dry side, and I don't like dry food. Especially pizza. Especially pizza. So anyway, getting back to your earlier question was, uh, what template were we following when we opened Ken's Artisan Pizza? Um, and it was really basically picking up on the pizza style we were doing at Monday Night Pizza at My Bakery, which we still do. And it was more about the architecture of the pizza. I wasn't trying to do um, a Neapolitan pizza. I wasn't trying to do any other specific pizza. Uh, we just wanted a thin crust, wood-fired oven pizza of a particular dimension uh, that we liked to eat. And uh, so, like, as a segue, when I was working on writing my book, The Elements of Pizza, uh, I started out thinking, who am I to write about pizza? Because I've been making pizza professionally at that point in time for a short nine years. And like the word pizza alone is just so loaded with like, what is pizza? You ask yourself, what is pizza? And it, that word means a different thing to no matter who you talk to. Right. But I don't think it's necessarily a time thing. How many, how many pizzas have you put out at, in, in that nine year period versus what someone else may have put out in 30 years in a small little place in Maryland? Right. Yeah, right. totally. That's funny. So, I grew up eating pan pizza. Uh, a place called Lido's was usually our go-to for pizza. And their crust was a little bit greasy. And, the only, and it was flaky, and the only way you can have a flaky crust is if there's fat in the dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, they probably started out using yard, lard, mm. uh, probably segued to shortening, just guessing, you know, 50s and 60s U.S. Uh, but I asked them, and they were like, they wouldn't talk to me. Really? <laughs> Would they talk to you now, do they think? No, absolutely not. No, I was, I'm writing my book. And you could I cite them. That would Lito's be big for them. They have like, so I write very short about this because it was the pizza I grew up with. And so I called... Lido's headquarters, and they've, they've franchised out, so they got like 65 places now or some you know, big number. Oh, now, yeah. Now and so have, all of a sudden a I'm deal. talking to some guy who's wearing a tie in his office, and I said, so here's the deal. I'm writing a book. I grew up eating Lido's pizza. The crust is flaky. Yeah, it can really only happen if there's some fat in the dough. And, you know, from his point of view, he's I can just tell alarm signals. Fat in the dough. Don't tell the public, <laughs> right? And he, all he would tell me is, uh, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to give out our recipes. I, said, mm. I don't want your recipe. I just want to know, are you guys using fat in the it's dough? It's like the 11, 11 herbs and out. spices in, in the KFC in his mind. He's like, you can't get that out. Or right. he just doesn't want people to know again. Well, not only that. There's, there's fat just, in the he's dough. He's a marketing guy, and he's worried about legal problems. Yeah, he's worried he about everything. 
Yeah. Nothing good is going to come out of this from this point. And he doesn't know how they make the pizza anyway. Probably the guy you were talking to, I would imagine. No, doubtful. Actually, Lido's has sort of a a funny history. The the founder had business partners. They had a split a long time ago. Um, And well, that usually happens in a history of a. A place how many where, actually a cash have, business it right. starts out a cash business right yeah, that made a lot of money so have you been back to have Lido's recently it doesn't appeal to me now um it did when I was a kid last time I had Lido's pizza was probably six years ago oh that's recently yeah in Lang- Langley Park Maryland and how was it uh it was all right because I go back to post corner pizza in Darien yeah. where I grew up which was Greek pizza incredible these guys went from make flipping burgers to hey let's put a pizza oven in the back and they had they it was just delicious and that's what i grew up on that's what set me the, the foundation for you know heart problems later on it was you know there was a greek family making pizza in hyattsville where i grew up mm-hmm. um are there a lot of greeks uh, american greeks that make pizza i think in uh up and down the gold coast in connecticut there are quite a few greek pizza places and they're great uh, yes yeah, is good that was uh, my hometown pizza that's what i started on and darian greek, yeah sure. but you go back now and my buddy jeff reiterbach who owns homegrown smoker he's from there and he's he i've been back a few times and he warned me he said it's not going to be the same they sold blah 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 yeah. and you can definitely tell the difference but on the other hand it's apples to oranges because i'm older my tongue is older my palate's older my expectations yeah. are different totally um so i don't know do you have you have pizza that you've gone back to your. Well, I'm a product of the '80s, so by and, and I grew up in in rural Utah, so it was so it was Pizza oh, Hut, Pizza Capital of, of yeah, it was, the, it was so. Pizza Hut, Little Caesars, or uh, you know Domino's, Godfather's Pizza, you know, so corporate, it was, corporate pizzas. It was corporate pizza, so yeah. that's what that's what I grew up on, and so yeah. I, I remember the first time I was in Italy and I was having an authentic Italian pizza, and I was like, what, what is this? What is this? I've changed since then, just so you guys know. Yeah, well, now you have the uh, you live in Portland. You can't right. do that any right. longer. Ken, have you ever stopped into a pizza? I haven't been to one in years, but a Pizza Hut or any of that corporate pizza, have, and just for the hell of it? Just for the hell of it? No, it would be really hard to get off on that. Um, you don't uh, have to get off. You just need to order it. And say, I know. <laughs> I know. Like... You can't get off every time, my friend. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. It's, it would be hard for me. I'll try. Nothing I think we should do. I, I think it'd be like... fun. Let's get Brian Spangler and we'll get Sarah Minnick. Let's all go into a Pizza Hut and, and get a really and do stone a photo... first, right? And get a f- and do a photo shoot. I do got to say though, uh, my mom used to make p- pizzas in her oven. She would make the dough herself, and th- those were some of the best pizzas I ever had. Is that she would experiment with toppings nice. and and but it was handmade dough. And what's your favorite topping? You know, when she would make it, she made this really interesting, like, broccoli. She would do a broccoli oh, pizza. I know, I know, but it was like, it, I can't remember how she did it, but it was like, like of all things, broccoli, and it was really good. Well, that's probably the best way to have broccoli when you're... I, 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 like, bro- I like broccoli. I'm a sausage I like person. I judge by the sausage. Mm. I mean, I don't judge, but that's the one I get. That's my go-to. If I'm going someplace, I have to try the sausage pizza. Have you had the sausage pizza trifecta annex? I have not. Oh yeah, uh, yes I have. I really stopped like into Common so Law, and um, Patrick went over and grabbed us a slice and brought it over. Oh, so cool. that was very kind of him, and cool. uh, it didn't go really well with what he was doing. But it was right. a little appetizer. Cabbage salad and nice, slices. Nice, nice big s- uh, chunks of sausage yeah. over there, different yeah. than your than Ken's artisan. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I was really glad. So, um, what's your what's your ingredient of choice? Because I have always sworn by your your sausage and your sausage pizza at Ken's Artisan. I, that to me is 
Um, you know, I've always, uh, I really like the simplest pies, although I'm a sucker for the uh, Hawaiian pizza. We do at the annex. Really? Yeah, I really like I really like it a lot. It's got bacon and pineapple. I would imagine, onions. is there anything there that you wouldn't be a sucker for? you got to be a sucker for it to be putting it out there. I well, think. yeah, I'm not going to put out anything to <laughs> serve that I don't want to eat. But right. I really like the simplest of foods. I love the marinara pizza. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, and actually, <clears throat> one of the things I like about it is um, in Rome, uh, where there's there's two principal styles of Roman pizza. There's a bakery pizza um, called Altalio, A-L-T-A-G-L-I-O, Altalio. Uh, and bakeries will make uh, long sheets in their bread ovens of, uh, of pizza. They could be like five or six feet in length, and they put them out at a counter, and they cut up you know, individual rectangles based on what you want to eat. <clears throat> and the two, uh, two that are just really classic are pizza bianca, which is basically it's bread, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, a little olive oil and salt. Uh, and it's kind of a flatbread. You know, ideally, they're about a quarter inch thick. They're all bubbly. Uh, crusty, a little crisp on the outside, a little bit tender on the inside. That would be the perfect version of that. Uh, and then Pizza Rosa uh, is the other Roman Altaglio pizza that I really like, and it's tomato sauce, uh, a little bit of <clears throat> a little bit of oregano, uh, and olive oil. And I just love that. I love it. It's the simplest version. It's uh, flatbread with with tomato sauce. Have you made it here? Um, well, that is what the marinara pizza is basically, uh, adding garlic to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the marinara pizza that we do at Trifecta Annex. Hmm. And getting funny a f- name for getting, a pizza, isn't it? Yeah, and getting a uh, five foot pizza in and out of those ovens would be a little difficult, I would imagine. Yeah, you need a bread, fold bread oven for that. A big so, skill involved. Yeah, those Roman pizzerias. I mean, they're doing these in uh, bread ovens, which is how pizza got started in the U.S. These you know, Lombardis and uh, you know, the others that followed him were all baking in bread ovens, uh, which got really hot, and they would uh, use pizza to cool down the hearth before the, to get it ready for bread. So this was back at the turn of the century? Yeah, 1900. Uh, Lombardi's was not the only one making pizza, um, but he was the first to make only pizza uh, in Little Italy. Really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. Have you uh, been? To, you've been to Lombardi? Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, I had a great time. I was in New York in April, and I, um, this guy Scott Weiner, who does Scott's Pizza Tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've read about him. Scott is, is uh, he's in the Guinness Book of the World Record for having the largest collection of pizza boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, really cool that. guy. He gives pizza tours uh, throughout the five boroughs of New York, and he and I got together um, a couple months ago, uh, <clears throat> and we did a little our own little tour. I was two of us. We went into Lombardi's, and he walks in there like like he owns a joint. Um, and yeah, right up to the ovens. Uh, we went to uh, Luzzo's. Um, How many there. do you do in one day in one of those tours? Uh, usually, just like five or six. Just. Yeah. So it's a slice at each one. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. They get you know if he's got eight people, you know they get a pizza. Everybody has a slice. He gives them a little tour of the place, then they move on to the next one. Is it? Is it? Uh, is the attitude? Let's just enjoy these for what they are, or are people tempted to rate all of them um he actually gives people a little book that allows them to score for themselves there you go you know so it's cross encouraged. toppings blah 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 um one actually one of the cool things about lombardi's is you know it's history it's it has not been in its present location since it's been in its present location i think since the 30s mm-hmm. um it started on uh, uh forget what street in 1905 um, but right now, it's actually in two separate buildings that are just kind of joined together at the hip. He's got two different leases. <laughs> uh, well, and really great. Call of that's it. it's, not it's unusual. It's a cool place. Pepe's had that, has that same situation. Do they? Well, similar. It's 
they have Pepe's and then they have the spot, which is in the parking lot right yeah. behind it. Yeah. And that was always the, the spot to go. There you go. Uh, when you didn't feel like waiting on the big line, the shorter line. <laughs> those are the same thing. But, but you get the same pizza, right? Yeah, supposedly. But now they've gotten bigger and they're now in Boston and they're down in Fairfield County. Right. And yeah. so you don't know. And right. uh, But it's still run by Frank Pepe's grandchildren. I think so, it yeah. Is, but yeah. They're, they're not able to be at every At all places, all times. So no, get, of course not. So my friend uh, Billy Pastari, who owns Modern Pizza. Modern Pizza, I should say. And... Um, He's his pizza is served up at Safeco Field. It's called Bill's. He will not put the modern name on it because he can't be there. And right, it, it's right. it was set up by Ethan Stoll, actually. It's uh-huh. an interesting story. And um but it's good, but it's I, I can't you know, it's I at love the ballpark. Billy. Yeah, it's at the ballpark. It's at the ballpark. You, what do you expect? It's not the it's not <laughs> the same, but as far as ballpark food it's it's great. Sure. But yeah, he wouldn't put his name on it and he's yeah. still just one location. Modern, and you—I know, don't know if you've heard what's. I've kind of heard what's going on with Sally's down in Portland. It's—I mean, in New Haven. It's uh, a, so Rick and Bobby Concilio, they are more than I do. Um, I don't—I've never met them, and I've never actually eaten there. But uh, I wrote uh, the history of pizza. I kind of wrote a, a chapter about that in in my book, The Elements of Pizza. And so I did uh, what research I could on New Haven pizzerias, and then I got some help. Oh, cool! So I just can. I, I need throw that the, book. I, I can throw the name of out. all cookbooks. That's the one I need to be uh, be on. Is it out now? Yeah, it was published in April, um, and it's more than just a cookbook. I, I think a lot of people would enjoy it just to learn about pizza, even if they don't want to cook from it. Uh, so the first half of the book is uh, the first chapter is called "The Soul of Pizza." And it's about how pizza got started in Italy, uh, who a lot of its top practitioners are, um, how pizza migrated to the U.S., uh, how it evolved. Uh, I write about pizza styles, pizza ingredients. So if you want to, yeah, what about the tomatoes on the pizza? If you want to know, I write about them. Or the cheese, all the kinds of mozzarella. Yeah. Did you think fun. when you grew up, and you grew up in Maryland, did yeah. you think, yeah. was there any indication this is, you'd be sitting in a, a, a studio in Portland, Oregon, or a pizza, I should say a pizzeria, but, you know, talking about as an authority on pizza, was there any indication as a kid? No, none. But if you'd told the 12-year-old me that I'd be, you know, that I would own pizzerias when I was an adult, I would have been really happy. What and what did what was, what did the 12-year-old you want to do? Um, do you remember? I wanted to go out and play baseball and, you know, eat a cheeseburger. I didn't so have were you any, an Oriole, I, I didn't Orioles have fan? I grew up a Washington Senators fan, but they broke my heart when they turned into the Texas Rangers and left. So um, it was hard to immediately be an Orioles fan because we always had this yeah, little no, rivalry about... It's hard to change leagues. When right. you grow up in suburban Maryland, it's sort of like, well, I'm supposed to be a, a Senators fan because Senators fan? they're right here. Or mm-hmm. an Orioles fan, that's 45 minutes up the road. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, the that... Orioles had the great teams. They had Jim Palmer, Mike Cuellar, and well, Paul Blair, I, I, was, Robinson, and Frank Robinson. Right. I, I am happy to say, and it, you know, it, it's a, I just... I start welling up when I think about it. I was at Game 5 of the 69 series when the Mets beat the Orioles, when the amazing Mets became world champions. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, you know, I knew that Oriole team pretty well. They were great. They were better than the Mets. Yeah. And um, Not that week, though. Not that week. It's, that's the way it works. But at yeah. least with baseball, it's four out of seven as opposed right. to football. You can have one bad game, and yeah. it's over with. Yeah. So are you, are you, is it a, possible to be a Nationals fan now? Um, you know, I'm from, a, from Portland. Uh, I've lived a long time on the West Coast. Okay. I, I lived in the Bay Area for a long time. I uh, I followed the Oakland Athletics for years and years and years. Uh, worst, and it, worst stadium in baseball, in um, my opinion. Yeah, but in the '80s, it got a lot of accolades. Uh, it's funny. Yeah, well, then, right then, now <laughs> is a lot different. Yeah, the gigantic foul territory, and 
yeah, all kinds of issues with upgrading the stadium. But um, I was an Oakland A's fan for a long time. Um, uh, uh, but actually now I'm a Giants fan. So you know, I've, I've lost credibility with a lot of people because I didn't stay with the same team my whole life. But yeah, well, my heart got ripped really, out when I was 13. So. Yeah, shit, you had to change once. <laughs> you may as well change, change again. So, yeah, I'm a Giants fan. I, I do follow the Nats. I follow the Orioles, too. Yeah, the Nats just took it to my Mets over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that was awesome. And you know what's killing me is not to get into a big baseball discussion. Daniel Murphy is just killing me. And and every yeah. Met fan, oh my. And yeah, I totally. thought it was dumb after his World Series or his playoff run to get rid of him last year. And he year. went to a division rival. Oh, God. And he's just, he's, you know, he's had seven home runs against the Mets already this year. I, I, more than a quarter of his home runs. Anyway. To see your form, your your last year star player beating you this year, it's it doesn't hurt. happen a lot, and no. it's it, and he's really beating them, and they saw it coming. So that, that should only happen to Mets fans. You guys know how to deal. Yeah, I know. I think it should happen to Cubs fans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to carry the torch for the ha- the ha- most hapless fan fandom in the U.S. So I think that's the Cubs. Maybe they'll change that this year. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we'll at least see. we have two. We'll see. Two titles. Hey, Chris, right now might be a great opportunity to stop and showcase one of Right at the Fork's biggest sponsors, Leanne Bach of M Realty. Yeah, she's developed some sharp skills over her 15 years to get you the most from selling or buying your home. But what's really cool is that Leanne lives within the Portland food community and loves it. And her partner, Ryan, with whom she shares parenting of the most beautiful child ever, happens to own Aria Gin. Leanne is an avid listener of this podcast, and so if working with someone who inherently understands your needs in the industry, or you're someone who wants to access it and devour it, Leanne Bach of M Realty is your gal. We want to thank Leanne for sponsoring Right at the Fork and becoming an important part of showcasing the best we have in this great food city of Portland, Oregon. So you can visit her online. It's leannebach.com. That's Bach with an H. Or you can find her info online at rightatthefork.com. And so what set you on the track towards baking? Um, so go back 20-some years to the mid-90s. Um, I was working in a corporate career. You know, I put on a suit, tie, went to work every day in an office. Uh, and In uh, advertising? No, um that was the advertising bit was just the last two years of my corporate career. No, I was, uh, uh, I worked in a company that made equipment to build communications networks. Um, my, uh, my brother was one of the founders in 1984. I joined and I started and ran our tech support center. Uh, at this point we were in, um, Menlo park, California. And, uh, so I was an engineer for about seven or eight, 10 years, I guess. Then I was a sales guy cause they made more money and I knew was, you know, wanted to buy a house. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I ended up back in the DC office. So I kind of went back to where I grew up and, um, I just didn't want to do that for the rest of my career, you know? And I, you know, I'd already seen people go through layoffs and go through this, you know, the midlife thing of, all right, um, whatever age you are, I've got to go find a job. Uh, and I just didn't want to do that. And it just really wasn't soul fulfilling, satisfying. Uh, so for years I just kept thinking I wanted to do my own gig, but I didn't know what it was. And, I had uh, done a fair bit of work in Europe. Uh, I lived in London in 1989. Uh, I did a gig where I was on contract to IBM, supporting our product over there. And uh, I just got a taste of for things that are, like a lot of Americans, you go to Europe and go, wow, this food is really good. You know, it could be a salami, it could be a pizza, it could be, you know, coco vin. Um, 
And, and it's also the atmosphere, too. There's something romantic about it over there. Yeah, but you, you buy a baguette or uh, a country bull oh, in man. Paris. And, yeah. you know, we didn't have anything like this here. And I was like, man, it's like, how hard can this be? So uh, I jumped off the cliff and uh, I um, I sold out in 1999. I, I cashed in. I sold my house. I sold basically everything I had. And I had just enough money in the bank to take a few years off. Uh, invest in a bakery. Single guy, it sounds like. Yeah, yes, they, yeah. They, if I was they, married, it never would. The marriage never would have survived. Those yeah, first no. There's, there are things you can do as a single person that, and easier and faster that you can't do uh, with a family, especially. Right. So I literally bet the ranch. I um, I had a piece of shit little rental house uh, here in Portland when I opened my bakery, and I was used to living in pretty nice homes. Um, and just went for it. Yeah, and, you know, failure was not an option. How old were you then? Uh, I was 43 when I opened my bakery. Okay. 58 now. Yeah. Same age, man. Um, yeah, 58 was an awesome year. So, uh, yeah, I opened my bakery. I wanted to be the the baker. I didn't want to just own it and hire other bakers. Uh, I wanted to craft. And so, yeah, I worked really hard. And um, it took a few years before I felt like our product was what I wanted it to be. But it still was not bad at the beginning. Either. But how much experience did you have baking before you opened that bakery? I mean, uh, Zero. Zero. Right. Well, you I just went, went, you just like opened the doors and I'm baking. And did you I, did you have did, somebody? Mentor I did a lot you? of training. Um, I had a lot of training, but I didn't go to anyone. I went to like four or five different culinary schools, but it was a week here, two weeks there, uh, <clears throat> two weeks at the San Francisco Baking Institute, uh, for example. Uh, one week at the CIA in Napa for a pastry class. Two mm-hmm. weeks. At, oh, so you had some? It just yeah, wasn't. Yeah. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna fake it till I make it. No, no. And then I studied in France for a couple of weeks. Um, in summer of 2000 uh, at a good culinary school just outside of Lyon. It's uh, called uh, L'Institut Paul Bocuse at uh, a place called the Chateau de Vivier. It was fantastic. It was so much fun. We're, I'm, I should be, of course, had spent some time in Lyon. I'm hoping to spend some time yeah, yeah. there in a few months with, with Aaron Barnett from St. Jack. We're going oh, over cool. there. So that's going to be... Well, Leon is a great city, man. It's a good eating town. It's beautiful too. Looking forward and even, to it. And even the the worst worst bread or the worst uh, patisseries that you have there are like ten times better than what we find here in the states. It's crazy. Uh, except for my bakery. Except, except for your bakery. No, well, <laughs> I'm just saying. But I'm gonna, <laughs> but I'm going to say this. I'll add to it. Qual- quality or not, I walked into the bakery where we were staying near where we were staying down the street, and there were a lot of them. In Paris, and you know, I was ready to go get a couple of croissants and maybe something else for me and my son. And uh, I walked out with a, a shopping bag full of baguettes, this, that, this for like eight euros, which would have I would have had two little things here, two yeah. croissants in Portland yeah. for that. That's what's incredible is how much less expensive it is over yeah. there. And what's the reason for that? Um, one is just volume. They sell a lot more. Uh, some of it's historical. The price of bread and croissants used to be regulated up until the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it used to be there was a, set, a price set by the government for what a baguette would cost. So that's hmm. still kind of the, the stand, uh, it's mentality still, still kind of there. Still on, there, yeah. There's some of that still. Yeah, yeah. 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 I do got to say, to redeem myself here a little bit, Ken, your walnut <laughs> bread, like, because my first time I ever had walnut bread was in France and like it just, it was life changing. It's your walnut bread that, uh, oh, it's the Thanks. best I've had. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so are you Does that make up for my are my you... my uh, slam that I didn't mean to, to make there? I don't think that <laughs> was a slam. It was just a, it was an inadvertent Inadvertent. <laughs> That's all. I was making a point. So is if. 
Oh, so if only my customers were French, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, well, sure, I don't know right. if you want that. So, Court, if if Court loved your walnut bread, is that is everything there? Have your the, did you develop it? it? Or well, not yeah. It has. I know it has your stamp on it. Uh, at Ken's you... Artisan Bakery, um, I'd say about half. Uh, so we have a lot of things that I like. I have no particular skill with cakes. Uh, Randy, my pastry chef, and Randy's been there for eleven years. Uh, uh, so, uh, Randy sort of filled in the gaps with what, you know, what's not in my, you know, personal skill set. Uh, all the croissants, the brioches, the breads, you know, those are my products. Mm. Um, some of the fruit tarts, uh, those are my products, but, uh, cookies, cakes, um, the mackerel, uh, Randy and I actually collaborated on the mackerel. We started about five years ago, fruit filling the mackerel. And so in the summertime we do a raspberry mac that I just, this is my favorite thing that we make there. Uh, yet, um, you get two cookies with a little layer of, uh, buttercream lightened with pastry cream and then fresh raspberries. But we make the cookies taste like something too. So in a mackerel, uh, typically it's almond meal and egg whites and sugar. And uh, any color that's in the cookie is historically has been food coloring. Uh, but we wanted to get some flavor in there. So we take in our raspberry uh, macaron, we take fresh raspberries, we dehydrate them, grind them up in a coffee grinder. So we have raspberry powder that gets folded into the cookie itself. Now the cookie tastes like really intense raspberry. Hmm. Are they available now? Is it at this very you? instant. At this very okay, yes. Court. It's I, all you know where we're going here. You're out of here. <laughs> I'll be back. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Ken, because and, and kind of going back to to Chris's question about why why you know it, it's different prices here than it is there. You know, when I was in France for the the time that I was there, and then came home, and that question, I was just like, why don't we have these thing, things here? And somebody, I can't remember who said it to me, but they're like the the resources the flour is just done differently here in the states than it is in france that's one of the reasons why you don't get that same taste that same quality is that true the flour is different um we have really good flour here yeah uh the milling is a little bit more of an art or can be there's big industrial mills in france of course right uh but france has more craft mills probably okay uh than in the u.s uh, so if you, for example, let's look at whole wheat flour, for example, when you buy whole wheat flour, um, when the wheat goes to the mill, you've got wheat kernels, uh, and they go through a roller mill that separates the germ and the bran from the endosperm. And the endosperm is what the part in the middle that makes white flour, um, whole wheat flour, they grind up the bran and the germ and then incorporate it back into the white flour. So it's sort of reconstituted whole wheat flour. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, you'll have uh, something like a stone mill or a stone mill um, that uh, grinds them up all together. And yeah, there's no reconstituting. It's just much more, uh, it's not only a more natural way of doing it, but it releases some of the oils and the germ into the white flour. Uh, and it just has this cafe au lait brownish color, <clears throat> beautiful characteristic. That's hard. It's hard to find anything like that in the U.S. Hmm. So you've covered France and Italy, right, with your bakery and, and pizza. Yeah. Now, any other yeah. regions that you're... Uh... Um, no, at this point, I think I've reached the limit of what I'm capable of doing in real time. I have four storefronts now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and I've just written two books, and I'm kind of at the end of a pretty are, intense last six years. Are you a workaholic? No. Well, I, I don't want to be going forward, to be honest. Uh, I'd like to relax a little bit more. Yeah, well, I think we're, <laughs> we both hit this age, and it's uh, you do. You don't, yeah. You wanna, um, although you've, I gotta say, 
I can tell you without knowing, uh, only knowing what I know, you've worked a lot harder than I have, especially over the last few years. So It's not always by choice, but you get into situations in life where you don't have a choice. And um, how are you as a boss? Because when you started baking, you were probably thinking more about baking. I think a lot of people in this town get into it because they're artists, artisans. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I still would love to... Uh, spend more time with my hands on the food. but uh, And I've worked baker shifts at Trifecta, you know, even this year. So it's not like I'm completely hands-off. Um, but you can only do so many things in a day. Um, so uh, I really enjoy the craft. I will always enjoy the craft. Uh, I love dividing and shaping bread dough, you know. <laughs> I love baking it out of the oven. Still, uh, so you're not telling that's no, not, that stuff does not get old. But how do you like payroll and all that stuff? I, I assume um, you have yeah, other I people. think um, I, I can take pleasure in the business management side of things. Um, uh, and I think I'm a pretty good boss, you know, I'm not condescending. Uh, and I always try to look at my staff's point of view. I've got over 100 people working for me, so yeah, it will always has its, has its, have its challenges because there's always turnover. Uh, but I don't know. I kind of dig it. Is it challenging now? Uh, I've been hearing it's really hard to find good people front of the house, back of the house, especially back of the house. Well, anytime uh, the unemployment rate is as low as it is, uh, it naturally follows that um, there's going to be a little bit smaller set of people. You know, ideally, you want to have a place that people want to work at. So even in the tighter times, um, employment-wise, uh, we're still able to attract good people. And so far, we have. Uh, I've, I had to fill some really critical positions this year, and uh, I felt really fortunate that I was able to bring in people that I was really thrilled to get to have on board. And what do you attribute that to? Because there are a lot of different businesses in Portland. You know, we just had Nate Snell from Pip's Original Donuts and Chai. I got a, I did the whole thing for the first time. And Can we do a standing ovation here for you? <laughs> Thanks. He'll, <laughs> appreciate, he'll appreciate that. He's never called me on it. But, I mean, he's got some some really interesting things going on in terms of, you know, he gives every employee 30 bucks a week to, that they have to go out and spend on charity, charitable. Per paycheck. 30 per bucks paycheck, per paycheck. Per paycheck, yeah. Unless they're paid weekly and then you I work. I think it might be. I just saw, anyway. Yeah. So he does those kind of things. And, and I think part of that is he accomplishes a lot with that, you know, something from his heart that I think emanates throughout the business, but also with customers. It's not all about the profits. It's about doing good for the community. Are there things that you're doing in that area that help in many ways? Mostly, I just want to have a place that people want to go to work to or, or at. Um, so, you know, if you're if you're a cook, you want to, if, if you're a cook or you have some aspiration or you um, really uh, like having some talent, you know, you, you want to get better, you want to work in a good restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the fun things at Trifecta, for example, is it's an expensive restaurant to operate, because we have a lot of stations in the kitchen, but we also have all the toys. You know, uh, our grill is a wood-fired grill, uh, or we have a wood-fired oven. We have, um, uh, we use immersion circulators. So, um, you know, it's a good place to work as a cook because, and we work with really terrific ingredients. You know, my chef, Rich Meyer, uh, was chef de cuisine at Higgins Restaurant, um, and he worked for Greg for 17 years. And so, wow. um, you know, Rich has worked uh, accustomed to working with, you know, very highest quality produce and meats and, uh, and doing pickling and curing and, um, you know, the sort of, you know, the sort of things, the craft elements to the kitchen work that 
uh, aspiring cooks really like working in. And we, you know, we treat people with respect. We're not condescending. And there are kitchens where that's not true. Do you want to name those? Of course not. <laughs> I, I wasn't looking for that. I yeah. just thought that it would be fun to do um, Or at my pizza. bite on that. You know, what, what I love doing is I love going to work and feeling the good juju there. Uh, I t- totally get that at my bakery. I, I love that at my pizzeria. Uh, the crew in the kitchen there, <clears throat> they really enjoy their gig. And they got a good gig. They're making really good pizza. Uh, they're out in the middle of the restaurant. They're not tucked back behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can usually see just the looks on their faces that these guys like what they're doing. So I try to make every place, every job, something that whoever's going to be doing it yeah, can really enjoy doing. Well, it's a, it's a great environment over there. I love just oh, the, whole, the whole the atmosphere at Ken's Pizza and Trifecta as well. And I, I've had experience at the bakery too. Yeah, um, yeah we designed the kitchens just, in all of those places. We designed the kitchens, or I did, depending on which one, uh, with uh, keeping in mind the point of view of the cook who's going to be working in there uh, so that they have sight lines, so that they don't feel closed in, so that um, the workspace is adequate for you know, what we're asking them to do, so on and so forth. It's kind of like taking care of the animals at the you know beforehand. If they have a good life beforehand, they're gonna the food's gonna taste better. And with your employees, same thing. We went to a place last year in Spain, Conjubani, which where the view from the kitchen was better than the view from <laughs> from the dining room, or as good, at least as good. It was, it was all windows. Wow, Whereas nice. from the dining room, they were just, you know, they were plain windows. Yeah, portals. So um, it dawned on me then that that's really what they're doing. They're making it a really comfortable environment so that the talent there ha- can flourish in every way. Yeah, and the food's going to be better when you do all that, too. You're, you, th- you think that's not just a theory. That is, or it is a theory. But it, I don't know. I'm going to no, stand by it. You're going to stand right. by it. Yeah. So how's uh, how's Pine Street Market doing? How's the Annex doing? Uh, Pine Street Market is doing good. Annex is still waiting to be discovered as its own thing. Um, I think we're making really fantastic uh, croissants, but our mornings are totally dead. Uh, so I developed a whole new... Any different than your other croissants? Or? Yeah. This was the fun for me um, is... Uh, and I'm not complaining, by the way. This is just... All right. I, I can handle patients. Um, I'm basically, I've made a completely new line of croissant products. Uh, our base dough is made with spelt flour, whole spelt flour. Uh, it's expensive, but it has an earthy, nutty flavor to it that I really, really like. And I'm definitely leaning more toward whole grains in my baking. Um, we do a morning bun that is similar to the morning bun at Ken's Artisan Bakery. But again, that's made from the spelt flour dough. So it's got an earthier flavor to it, but it's not heavy or dense. Um, we do a, 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 I do two new croissant doughs uh, at Trifecta Annex. One is uh, <clears throat> made with rye flour uh, and sweetened with honey. Uh, and we roll up uh, the triangles for these croissants. We roll up with ham. So we call it the honey rye ham croissant. And it just has this beautiful balance of savory flavors with just a little background sweet from honey. Man, it's so good. Isn't there a saying that like you should never trust a, uh, a skinny baker? <laughs> That's Massimo Batura's book. Never, never trust his I, I, I never, I would never, I, I wouldn't be able to survive like if I were you, Ken, because the the way you talk about this is like I, I'm I'm gonna go get in line right now for these morning morning Bakers croissants. burn a lot of calories. Okay, maybe yeah. maybe maybe that's the benefit not, of it. They do not spend their day on their butts. <laughs> well, plus you can't eat your product. You'd be uh, you know a you, gotta, you gotta sample a little bit. Right? You do have to you sample. sample. You have to make sample. sure. <laughs> uh, and then there's a the double chocolate croissant um, oh. that we make. Oh. It's a chocolate oh. dough. Uh, and then we roll it up with uh, Valrona um, Couverture chocolate, the Fevs. What time do you open? Uh, we were the annex o- open. 
uh, we opened at nine. We were opening at eight, but nothing was happening. Right, right. So, you know, on a typical day, we like today, I think we sold about five croissants an hour mm. uh, until we hit around lunchtime. So we're still waiting to be discovered. We're actually going to uh, soon open up the bakery again at Trifecta. Um, just, you know, we're there. We're baking stuff anyway. For the that was the original plan. Right? It was, but the neighborhood wasn't right for it. Uh, first off, there was a lot of construction projects going on, so parking was limited. Uh, there were, um, uh, there's no real neighborhood there. Which you kind of need for a bakery, right? Uh, and it's not anyway, far though. There are was, neighborhoods that aren't far, but I guess I was bleeding I was... hard and fast, um, so I had to kill it pretty quickly. Uh, so never gave up on the idea. The whole idea of opening Trifecta Annex at the Pine Street Market was to allow me to use this bakery that I built and actually make the products I wanted to make and take them someplace to where hopefully the people are. That hasn't worked yet. Um, but I'm confident that in time it will because I know how good these products are. You need to you need to just have someone with a board go over to Voodoo Donuts and say no line and you know don't get me started. All right, don't get me started. Why? <laughs> Was that in a meeting? <laughs> Um, well, you know, I want to get you started. We're make, we're tell, make, tell me what you think about that, or um, tell us what you think. I'm sorry. Why not? This is a venue uh, for for opinions, right? Um, we make product that uh, that emphasizes the craft. You cannot make a croissant well unless you do 28 things right from start to finish, including the final bake, when to pull it out of the oven. And uh, that's the sort of product that I totally respect and that I want to eat. Um, and if there was a line down the street for that kind of product, then it would totally make sense to me. Uh, the fact that we have people coming from out of town standing in line for a product that isn't in that category, I don't understand. Um, so yeah, I don't want to, you know, I would imagine, though, you Express could... Express anything more detailed. No, I, I get, we heard it. Yeah. So, so, but I would imagine that you could do, so, as a marketing person, some pretty good business out of the hotels downtown who are looking for, you know, a cool place to go. They don't necessarily want to go downstairs. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. And that should develop over time, but that's not something... That's something that takes that some take, time, yeah. It basically, takes time and it takes concierge. And, it, it's exactly, yeah. The, the route to that success path is through the concierges, which we're trying to develop some relationships with. Still, I've, I'm the kind of guy that says, if I just keep my head down and do really great world-class product, and if it's new and innovative, like the honey rye ham croissant or the double chocolate croissant or these morning buns, or we do a maple sugar croissant, fuck, that's good. Um, then sooner or later, somebody's going to notice. Then we're doing pizza there, too. And uh, so Trifecta Annex, you might say that's a stupid name for a pizzeria, um, but it's a bakery and a pizzeria. It's not a pizzeria. So you can, it's a bakery got, you, and a pizzeria. If you named you know. it a pizzeria, it couldn't be a bakery, it, so you got to yeah, go down the middle. Yeah, right. Um, so, and, and it's uh, Trifecta Tavern is a big part of it. We, you know, we mix the pizza dough there. We make the croissants uh, products there. We actually bake the croissants at the Annex. But anyway, we're making a New York-style pizza uh, at Trifecta Annex that um, we're mostly a slice joint for most people. Um, we Which is really nice, by yes. the way. There aren't, I can't can think of a lot of places where they're, where, hey, I just want a slice. Right. Uh, and it's a really terrific slice of pizza. Um, from the, you know, the craftsman in me would like more people to buy whole pizzas because that's the pizza at its best. Right. Is when you get and whole, fresh out of the oven. Yeah, it's not a reheated slice. It only gets baked once, um, and it's at its very, very best that way. I, actually, I even say that on our menus. Our whole pies are best. So I'm looking forward to going down because I love croissants. And yeah. my current, the current um, award winner in my mind is, have you been to Baker and Spice and had their whole wheat croissant? 
Um, and by the way, Julie I have Richardson to say, I haven't been, your Ken's Artisan Bakery is not generally convenient for me. I'm in Southwest, so sure. I haven't been there as many times. I really Easy like Baker. Uh, I'll, I'll just say, I really like Baker, Baker and Spice. Uh, I'm friends with Julie Richardson and her husband, Matt. Um, I think they do a great job. We've had an awesome relationship over the years. Uh, their products are terrific, and I'm glad you mentioned them because they don't get a lot of mention. Yeah, no, I and they deserve more than they well. Can. A lot of that is because they're in Southwest, but the people right. in Southwest know about it because yeah. it's packed. Yeah, yeah, they usually. do well. And um, but that croissant, when I for, someone first told me to have it, and I brought it, I brought one to you. Oh yeah, for, yeah. And I brought it to a few people because it's on my way, um, and it always flips everybody out. So, so that's a good one. I need to get down to try some of yours at. Oh. And the good thing is, I can't do them all at once, so I have to keep going right. down and try exactly. this, little of that, exactly. little of that. So. Uh, we're now opening at 9 in the morning. We were opening at 8, but nothing was happening. So we open at 9 now. And then how late are you opening in the evening? Um, till 9 o'clock most nights. Uh, we're open till 10 on uh, Friday, Saturday. So how, how do you think, and actually, you know, it might be good for you to explain, because I bet we have listeners who don't know what Pine Street Market is. So that's one of the reasons you're here, to help educate people. But can you Pine, explain Pine, what Pine, Mar- Pine Street Market yeah, sure. is and what your expectations are? Uh, Pine Street Market's a food hall. Uh, it's a homegrown food hall. It takes a historic building in uh, downtown Portland. It's at the corner of Southwest uh, 2nd and Pine Streets. Uh, so it's right next to Kells. Uh, it's a couple blocks from that donut place you mentioned. Um, and real close to the waterfront. Um, there are nine different uh, tenants or operators. We're not all restaurants in there. So there's, uh, uh, but it's all locally operated. So imagine a food court that be the food court of your dreams because the food is really good and it's made by local restaurateurs from around town. There's no chains in there. It's not that kind of place. Uh, it has common seating in the middle, uh, sort of picnic table style seating. And then um, a lot of the operators there have their own interior seating. I kind of wish I had done that. I, I went for a smaller space, not thinking that I needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so the range is the right next to me is Common Law. Uh, they make uh, it's sort of uh, Asian slash French cuisine. Um, and then I'm doing a bakery and a pizzeria. Uh, we've got Olympia Provisions has a really fantastic hot dog stand. Got to get down there, Court. Uh, we need to go down to the hot dog. I want to do I'm, that with you. I'm down. All right. Any Hot day. Are good. Um, Mary Keen, uh, doing really fantastic ramen. Uh, Salt and Straw has their whiz bang, uh, soft serves bar. Uh, and then. Are there uh, li- how the lines? I went when it first opened, there weren't lines. How's that going for them? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's going well for them. It's yeah, not a Salt and Straw line, is what my question. Do you uh, have to wait in line like you do at most Salt and Straw locations? Uh, sometimes the line's shorter, sometimes it's longer. Okay. Um, hard to say. It's like people asking about the wait at my pizzeria. I, said, I don't know. Plenty of times there's no wait at all. What's and, the best time to go? I'm glad we got that in. When's the best time to go to Ken's Pizza where you don't have to wait? Because I have to tell you, I feel like it a lot, and then I'm just like, oh, God, it's after 6. I'll never I'll never get in. Uh, you know, a lot of times the best time to go is around 8 o'clock. Um, Portland likes to eat dinner earlier than most cities in the U.S. And uh, so uh, Monday through Thursday, around 8 o'clock, is a really good time to go. Friday and Saturday, of course, are going to be busy. Sunday's uh, been, um, uh, it's a beautiful time to go. This is something about the air on a Sunday. It's just chill. Well, plus, with the know? windows open, it's just yeah. a really, it's a really nice thing. Yeah. So, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask where you're, some of the places that you're digging in Portland right now that you would, friends came in from out of town other than your places, where they need to go. Um, I haven't really been eating out much other than at my places lately. Um, 
I uh, I like Mirakutai a lot for sushi. Um, it's a short walk for me. It's up at the corner of Burnside and Sixth. Um, and here, he used to be in Lake Oswego. Yeah, Oswego. and then he was where Yama is now in the Pearl, and right. then he moved over there. Right. Uh, Hero is um, he's a treasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mid sixties. He's been doing sushi his whole life. Is the kind of guy you want I think cutting severely your underrated. There was just a like sushi it. thing, an eater, I think it was. They, that wasn't mentioned. I, I was looking for it. And I was like, no, someone missed the boat here. But, uh, yeah, I shouldn't say anything bad about eater, but they'd miss the boat on that one. Yeah, no, it's okay if they miss. They're gonna you look. You can't be on it's, all the time, but that one. Yeah, best five anything's like. <sighs> well, that's the thing now. Lists. Right. And you're lucky you come in on almost, uh, there isn't a list, a pizza list you're not on, right? I mean. Well, thanks. I thanks. think. So I'm right there with mine. So yeah, Actually, I mean, you know, speaking of, of pizza, um, you know, our our, uh, our founding chef, uh, Alan Maniscalco, left uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Alan did a great job for us. I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have opened the place without him. Um, he left. I think he's working on his own pizzeria in Vancouver. Uh, but it's been fun for me because it's allowed his departure has allowed me to um, reinvigorate the energy of the kitchen directly, um, and uh, so we've uh, taken some old pies off the menu that you know, weren't exactly what I wanted, and we've put on uh, uh, quite a few new pizzas that like, I'm really really happy about. Let's hear what you're happy about. Uh, we got a new one on there. We call the Cherry Bomb, um, and it's uh, cherry tomatoes and pancetta uh, with mozzarella di bufala, uh, a little bit of pecorino romano. Uh, and man, it is so good. Um, we uh, are doing, um, um, what am I calling? Oh, the Pomodoro Royale. Uh, I took a couple of recipes out of my book and I'm using them at the pizzeria now. Um, Makes sense. The Pomodoro hey, Royale. An idea. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, okay, I figured this out. <laughs> the Pomodoro Royale takes a really uh, historic pizza from Naples, which is there, it's called the Kosaka. And the Kosaka means monk's habit. Uh, and the Kosaka is a very simple pizza. It's just tomato sauce and then out of the oven, a fresh grating of a hard cheese like a pecorino. Uh, and that's exactly what we do. Um, we add uh, basil to it and we call it the Pomodoro Royale with cheese. like very that nice. one very much. Very appetizing. It's just a shame that it's noon on an, uh, a day that you're not open. Right. No, so we're open every day. You're open Monday? Yeah, we're open Oh, I didn't know. I had a, Kate, we were trying to figure out a time to go with your friends from um, Play Nice PR. Right, right, right. And... Uh, I had proposed tonight, actually. I guess they couldn't make it. I just assumed it wasn't. Yeah, we're open uh, seven days a week. I'm all, glad we cleared, cleared that up. We Woo. wouldn't want to. But, I mean, you're not open right now. No, so we're not open can't right do now. anything about you it. You want pizza right now, you got to go to Trifecta. Yes. Yeah, so, and mean. then when is Alan? So, Alan, you're talking Vancouver, Washington. Yeah. Obviously, he didn't yeah. go to BC. Yeah. And when's that looking to uh, I have no happen? idea. Um, I actually got this from Michael Russell wrote a thing on Oregon Live oh, last okay. week. So, I didn't get that from Alan. Because I think people would be... You know, one of my favorite pizzas in Connecticut were the two guys who ran Pepe's Kitchen for 15 years. They broke off and opened right. their own place in it. I loved it. It was okay. I don't have to wait online for it in the beginning. Now yeah. you do, but you know that's a that's a good way to enjoy. You know, yeah. I wish something new. Yeah, I, I wish him well. Uh, at the same time, I got some. Um, uh, I, I got an opportunity to more directly um, influence the pizzas on the menu at, at my pizzeria. The chef-owner relationship is a delicate dance. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it was a long time. Do you, have you yeah. hired anybody to replace him, or is it— No, not doing... so much. That would have been totally the wrong thing to do. Um, We—I uh, promoted one of our cooks to a sous chef, uh, so now we have two sous chefs running the day-to-day uh, with uh, with my oversight. So I'm much more directly involved 
uh, than I had been for the last couple of years. So how many how many nights a week will we find, if we go in there? Do we see you there doing your thing? Um, yeah, I'm probably the pizzeria two or three evenings a week during the day, uh, about four or five days a week. Good. It's hard. It's hard work. It's fine. So, and what do you do when you're not? Where do you want to travel? Where do you go? What do you What do you like to do? Uh, sometimes I go to Hawaii just to chill. Um, I, no, no place restores my energy like that. But really, for <clears throat> I like going to New York a lot. I always have a lot of ton of fun in New York City. And pizza. I saw David th- Johansson from the New York Dolls doing oh, an acoustic shit. set last night. I worked at the Whiskey A Go Go when David Johansson was there. <laughs> Is that and, right? And I got to meet him. And I, and yeah, I, did I too. he's on my spot. I just put him back on my Spotify list. Do you know David? Oh, jo- I, oh, I do. Yes, yeah. And as a matter of fact, they just kind of immortalized him in, in vinyl. On HBO, which unfortunately isn't going to be picked up, but the New York Dolls were a key part of that. Oh, is that right? I'd love to see that. Yeah, you got to you got to check uh, that. This out. was cool. I saw him do. Uh, it was like an invite-only acoustic set with a guitarist from Blondie. Oh man! Uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's the Whiskey Go Go from 1978. Those they, those were the two acts that were playing there. That's very cool. Um, so, what other music do you like? I'm all over the map. Like I, I totally am a blues head. I love blues music. I love jazz. Um, uh, and I love you know Beethoven and Mozart. Yeah, I'm a big classical fan too. Rap, uh, rap or country? Because we grew up at the same time, so those are the two that I could do without. Um, country, I can enjoy. Rap, I'm not not a fan of. What about uh, bluegrass? Let's go a little step further. Bluegrass, oh totally. Yeah, I used to go to bluegrass festivals. Growing <laughs> nah, can't um, do it. <laughs> can't do it. I had a roommate in college that just but, ruined know, like, my days. Even Led Zeppelin had banjo on it. You know. So. Yeah, well, that's that's different. That's <laughs> not, not, David, not a bluegrass. I, I went yeah. out and bought this fairly, for the time, in college, expensive stereo system, and I wanted to listen to Van Halen and you know Aerosmith, and I'd come yeah. home, and my roommate was actually from Connecticut, but by way of Lewis and Clark College in this place called Portland, Oregon, which I didn't know about at the time, and I would come back from classes and just want to you know, put Zeppelin on or something. And he would be sitting there with his bandana and his moccasins tapping his foot to David Grisman going down to the river. And I just, ever since then, it's just like, it's been ruined for you. I can't, anytime I hear a song where it says river like that, I just, I can't do it. You're lost, bud. So, and we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to hear any of that at Ken's, I'm sure. So I'm not in jeopardy there. I, I'm going to find every song I can find with River say, and, and uh, save your playlist for yeah. when you show up. I'll be over at a pizza. <laughs> then, then, then that's good for a pizza shoals. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Ken. My pleasure. That was a lot of fun, Chris. Good. Cheers. Thanks for it. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary food dude. Now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat, drink, and enjoy the Portland summer sunshine and fresh air. Check it out today at portlandfoodanddrink.com. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at foodpodcastpdx or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. <laughs>